You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight we are looking at the 1951 George Powell film, When Worlds Collide. Synopsis of the movie. Dr. Bronson, an astronomer at the Mount Kenna South Africa Observatory, has made an unsettling discovery. He calls in reliable freelance pilot and courier Dave Randall to deliver photographic observations and calculations to his colleague, Dr. Hendron, in the USA. It's all very top secret and newspapers are trying very hard to get Randall to reveal what is in the courier case he carries halfway around the world. Randall doesn't know what's in the case, but when he arrives in New York, Dr. Hendren's attractive daughter, Joyce, lets a bit slip. She's frightened about the world coming to an end. At her father's office, Randall meets Dr. Tony Drake, Joyce's fiancé, and Dr. Hendren. When Joyce tells her father that Randall knows all about the contents of the case, he lets Randall stay in for the briefing. Dr. Bronson has discovered a star, Bellus, and Zyra, a planet orbiting it, that are approaching the Earth at a rapid speed. In July of the next year, some eight months away, Zyra will pass close enough to the Earth to cause massive earthquakes and tsunamis. Countless people will die, but a few may survive. But only for 19 more days, because that's when Bellus will collide with the Earth, destroying it completely. Dr. Bronson's figures are checked and double-checked. There is no mistake. The Earth is doomed. Hendren takes the findings to the UN and proposes building spaceships. The hope is that Zyra might support life, and if so, a few humans could start a new world. When other prominent astronomers poo-poo Bronson and Hendren's findings, the UN laughs them out of the building. The U.S. government doesn't laugh him out the door, but they also won't fund his work. A couple of humanitarian millionaires step up to fund Hendren's plan to save some of humanity. Tony has asked Joyce to marry him right away, but she's hesitant. She's developed a thing for Randall and never was really on board with the idea of marrying Tony anyway. She asks her father for advice, and when it becomes clear she loves Randall, her father contrives a way for Randall to be on the project to build a spacecraft, to keep him close at hand. Millionaire Stanton arrives. He's an unpleasant man in a wheelchair. He'll fund the project, but the condition is that he gets to pick who goes to the new world. Hendra will accept his money for a ticket for Stanton, but he will not allow Stanton to pick the other people who go. It's a take-it-or-leave-it offer, and there's no other game in town, so Stanton takes it. There is word that other countries are also trying to build spacecraft. A camp is built, staffed, and construction begins on the rocket. Provisions, animals, microfilm, books, and any number of other things are prepared for the rocket. There are over 600 people working on the project, but only 40 will be able to go. Less than four months out from the destruction of Earth, the other astronomers come around to Hendren's observations, and Stanton now predicts that the world will soon turn ugly as people will try to fight and kill their way onto the rocket. Hendren disagrees and refuses to issue the rifle Stanton has brought. The next day, the UN announces the end of the world, although it seems they may only be preparing for the flyby of Zyra. Martial law is declared, and coastal cities are evacuated when Zyra arrives, causing massive damage and flooding, and nearly destroying the ship. In the aftermath, Randall and Tony, 
weren't getting along very well because of the simmering tension between them, go out to aid some survivors in need of medical equipment. They dropped some supplies off for some doomed survivors stranded on a small islet, then rescue a small boy floating on the roof of a house. It looks for a moment that Tony thinks about leaving Randall behind to die, but he doesn't. After that, they're the best of pals. Handron has devised a secret lottery system to select the passengers, minus the six people he selected. Himself, Joyce, Tony, the rescued boy, Dr. Fry, the designer and pilot of the rocket, and Randall. Randall is outraged. He doesn't deserve a place on the ship, but Hendren says he's doing it because he loves Joyce, and she wants it. And why not? Randall refuses to go, but tells Hendren not to tell Joyce of his decision. Time is running out, and they are behind schedule. Then, Tony drops a bombshell on Randall. Dr. Fry has a medical condition. He may not survive the launch, and if he doesn't, or is incapacitated, there is no one else apart from Randall who can fly the rocket. Randall is overjoyed. At last, he has a legitimate reason to be on the rocket. The results of the lottery are announced, and two young lovers, hoping for a place in the new world, find out that only one of them can go. Eddie, the one who got selected, gives up his place. This is just what Stanton wanted to hear. He's been lobbying to leave a few more people behind to decrease the weight and increase his chances of survival. Stanton's wheelchair pusher, Ferris, uses this opportunity to pull a gun and demand that he go on the rocket. Stanton kills him with a concealed pistol. Hendren makes up his mind and decides that the two lovers can both go on the ship. Hendren continues to insist that people will not panic and that Stanton is wrong about his assessment of people. But Stanton is not wrong. 500 people who weren't selected take Stanton's rifles and storm the ship. Hendren and Stanton are the last aboard, but Hendren has one last trick up his sleeve. They're not going. The new world is for the young and he disengages the rocket's moorings and starts the launch. Hendren and Stanton will be the weight savings that will help the rocket make it to Zyra. The launch goes according to plan, and when Randall awakens from the blackout, Fry is already on the job. Randall realizes he's been conned. There was nothing wrong with Fry. Tony lied to him so he'd make the flight. They approach Zyra, and things are okay, but they're using too much fuel. They run out on landing approach, and Randall brings the ship in for a rough but survivable landing. Outside, a strange new world awaits them, and their goats. The end. <laughs> okay, come on. I'll start with that. I love the fact that in the final scene, and we'll get to that final scene, but I just want to point out that their new world, they go, all right, let's all come out. And some people think that the right thing to do is to grab a goat and carry it out with them. Well, it's probably been it's like, sitting in their lap for the last couple hours. Thought it was supposed to be in the pens. Yeah, what well, you know, let it go so and then space. wander off. It's like, well, we brought a bunch of goats, but they all wandered off and now, <laughs> no, anyway. All right. So, when worlds collide, nineteen fifty-one, George Powell. Uh, what? Um, what do you think? Uh, you know, I first saw this movie when I think I was six, yeah. and uh, <clears throat> I was very, very impressed with it then. Uh, so much so, I even convinced my dad to help me build a uh, replica of the spaceship out of balsa wood and uh, tissue paper. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, let's just say he did the majority of the work on it, so it actually looked decent. <laughs> but I remember uh, that was really cool, uh, cool design. And I remember uh, it was probably some anniversary of something. It was on the cover of Starlog. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. 
I was, like I said, I was very impressed with the special effects, but kind of confused a, a little bit, kind of a, you know, background confusion, mm-hmm. uh, niggling uh, question of why was it called Worlds? Only one uh-huh. world hit us, and there was only one world coming towards us, and then a star. Yeah. It wasn't until I was in junior high, and I was uh, uh, going through the library for the, the first time in that school in that year, and uh, I picked up a uh, a rather thick book, and it was uh, When Worlds Collide, and then After Worlds Collide. I think that was the second book. Yeah, that's the second book. And uh, I realized, oh, this is what that movie was based on. And I believe, uh, I think the inside of the book, uh, the inside cover was a copy of the apparently rough gouache painting that Bonestell did of the uh, of the, the landscape of Zara but... after the ship had landed. And Where? I, if I read it, I don't remember it. <laughs> okay. Well, I think it was I'll... like, I probably intended to read it, but one of the Starlog, or Star Trek, Star Trek log books probably caught my eye and I grabbed that one instead. <laughs> or maybe well, something just, by Silverberg. I don't know. I just bought them. I had to order them because they're out of print. I, I got them from yeah. Half Price Books for five bucks a pop, but they had to be shipped halfway across the country. I, um, I actually own two copy, uh, two paperbacks from 1965 of those two books. And I was, I was intending to read them both. But both of them are in such poor condition that as ah. I was reading them, they started to deteriorate in my hands. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do happen to have a summary of what the differences are. And there's one thing about it in particular that, that I think speaks to script changes. Yeah. Because, uh, so for starters, in the movie, I'm, I'm pretty darn sure that I'm not wrong here. They specifically say that Bellus is a star. Yes. And Zyra is a planet accompanying it. Yep. Which would imply that Zyra is in orbit around the Bellus. And, right, the, the two come flying by on their way out and then gone, you know? Yeah. And we're going to pick up on Zyra and keep going with it. And yet there is a line in the movie where Joyce says to, I think, Randall, you know, we'll be in a new world but it'll be the same sun shining down upon us. And I'm like, no, it'll it'll be a different sun. Well, here's the deal. In the book, the 1933 novel by Edwin Balmer and Philip Wiley, uh, the two bodies are both planets. Bronson Alpha is a gas giant, and Bronson Beta is an Earth-sized terrestrial-style planet. And... I think it's ultimately revealed that the two rejected from a, a destroyed star or solar system, and so that's why they're traveling more or less together. In the book, Alpha and Beta both pass close to Earth. They both cause mass destruction, and then they swing around and return some months later, with uh, Alpha colliding with Earth and Uh-oh. destroying it, and Beta hopefully, maybe, possibly going into orbit around our sun in approximately right. the same distance from Earth. So it's basically a planet swap. And so that would explain yeah. why she says it'll be the same sun shining down upon us. Ah, they missed that one when they did the rewrite. I think they, apparently, I'm, I'm guessing huh. that's what they did. But um, Fascinating. Well, now I definitely want to read those books. 
Yeah, and you know, those are seminal American science fiction books. There is a lot of fiction that was built up after it based on the whole notion of the Earth being destroyed. But this is really kind of where it gets uh, gets its start. Hmm. So, yeah. you know, they are... I don't know if I'd put it up there as some people say with, you know, Animal Farm as... <laughs> but, uh, yeah. All right. Anyway. But this movie is not the books. I just point that out no. because... Oh, yeah, the couple other things. Uh, in the books, the girl's name was Eve, if that isn't <laughs> a little bit on the nose. And... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, there's and just Tony a little gets bit the of girl. religion on it. No, there, Tony there you gets go. the girl. So, yeah, I don't even know if Randall goes. Yeah, Randall goes. I think he's on the second ship. Um, oh. But anyway, all right. But let's uh, let's talk about um, let's talk about this film. Um, you know, I, and I saw it very young, and I have to say, not really one of my favorites uh, when I watched it as a kid. Whereas maybe you were inspired by the spacecraft. I felt cheated that it didn't do anything for 95% of the movie. And, you know, it speaks to my attention span, I guess. But yeah. it's like, yeah, all right, yeah, come that on, get too. on with it. I do remember the movie movie being, being very long and not like the other movie that I could swear it was some late night double feature where it was where worlds collide and war of the worlds on the same night. Yeah, well, um, War of the Worlds starts pretty fast with the, the shooting and the pew-pewing and the right, stuff. Right, exactly. So. Yeah, and the, 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 the death rays, yes. Yeah. yeah. You don't see gunfire in this until fairly far on in the movie. Act 5 or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's way out there. It, it's, um, yeah. I'd say, gosh, those titles were dramatic in the opening. Oh, the they, letters, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Collide. Excellent titles in this. <laughs> very, very 50s. My notes are in very poor order, as always. I don't, I don't really understand why that is. <clears throat> I think it's just like what I remember, and then I go back and look at my scribbled notes, and I write them down, and then they're in whatever order my brain went in. So I'll just uh, I'll just start on it. They're leaning on the Bible quite a bit on this book, aren't they? Yeah, it seems to be a thing with the George Powell stuff, I'm noticing. Yeah, he, he, I think he's definitely... Uh, uh, cutting into that 1950s uh, zeitgeist. Yep, Let me ask you a bet. question. If you were microfilming books to take to a new world, uh -huh. what would be your high-order books? Uh, survival and uh, probably management, oddly enough. Project management would be a good one. Yeah. Or, or, yep, I would. Yeah, uh, and uh, medical and engineering texts. And then second to that would be how to teach stuff to people and like how to learn languages. Yeah. And I, uh, I thought getting food, making yeah, food, yeah. farming, food, survival gardening, things, yeah. shelter, engineering, mm -hmm. medicine. To yep. me, that's like the high order stuff. And then yeah. I didn't go through it all of it, but I also at the bottom of this, the bottom, the last books I'd scan, if I'd even bother, would be like the Torah, the Bible, the Koran, the collected works of David Icke. All of that would be way down at would, the bottom where it belongs. That would be after Tolkien and Asimov and, oh, oh, uh, yes, Lamour. The Farmer's All uh, for 1912 oh, yeah. would be more useful. Of collected works uh, of, of Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. Almost anything. 
almost anything than mythological BS uh, yeah. in the new world. But um, b- books by Velikovsky, yeah, you name it. Yeah. Then the religious so, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> what? But what made me think of that? Not just because I'm outraged that that was one of the. So the books they showed uh, in the montage as they were scanning them across the bookshelf were the Holy Bible, Anatomy of the Human Body, Practical Mathematics, Encyclopedia Volume One, Standard so, Agriculture, The, the only Story of is... Mankind, The Plays of Shakespeare. That's now, it. That's all the books they get. Actually, what really I know I know it's done for movies. I know it's yes. done for the dramatic effect. But the project manager who decided to scan them in that order, it's like, I'm sorry, you you decided to jump from Encyclopedia Volume One A through Agar to standard <laughs> agriculture. I'm thinking you should scan the encyclopedia actually fairly early because yeah, it's a early concise right first. It's like, yeah. you know, it may not be the most detailed thing you've got, but it's, you know, it's, it's got a lot of dis- different, yes. different stuff, right? Yes. But obviously they're just doing it to show you that they're trying to get the whole, the whole gamut of it. But yeah, they, they all lead the off of the Bible. It's like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's see. The jealousy subplot. I have to say, Randall is a fool. <laughs> Joyce is one cold, cold bitch in this yeah. film. Right? Yeah. She, I mean, she meets Randall in a car on the way to her meeting. And that very night, she's dancing with her fiancé. And the whole time, she is ignoring him and, like, smiling like a demon at Randall sitting over at the table getting drunk. Uh-huh. I, I mean, she is just like, wow, that's the guy for me. This this guy who's invested all this time and we're a fiancé. And is like, I'm fond of him, I suppose, but ooh, never really into him. Kind of thing. I mean, wow. And and later at the base, she goes into the medical area and Tony's there and and she goes, Hi Joyce. He goes, Hi, Tony. It's just like <laughs> you haven't even broken up with him officially, I think. I'm not sure at this point, but I think he's getting the idea. And in the phone line, when she's serving food, right? Randall comes along, here's your dollops of food. Then Randall keeps walking and she just keeps falling and Tony's just standing there holding his plate in front of her like and then she's like yeah like not subtle not a good human being not 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 the one you want to be trapped with yeah yeah I mean I guess if it's his one-way ticket to a new planet it's like okay I guess (laughs) but but, yeah uh, you know wow yeah she is she is not not good and she's a bit dim to have blurted it out in the taxi cab with a guy who knows nothing about the situation yeah like i'm i'm just a south african courier you know <laughs> i didn't know the world was coming to an end what <laughs> Look, yeah exactly why did you tell me that why did you tell me that yeah okay uh the survivors on the mountaintop in the sea that randall and tony go out to uh very well well versed, Tony, being a helicopter pilot as well as a medical doctor. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I, I think doctors did that sort of thing back then. Oh, okay, maybe yeah, it could be. So they get a they, they, the world has been destroyed, or you know, tsunamis, New York's flooded, everyone's been evacuated. Shaken up pretty get, well, yeah. They get an emergency call. You know, help, help! We need supplies. We need rescue. 
and they fly out and they find a group of people who have somehow happened to be medical because they've got medical tents and they're nurses and stuff, but they're right. on a piece of land that can't be, oh, 50 feet across in the middle of the ocean, which is obviously the peak of a mountain. And they fly by, chuck them some medical supplies and fly off. Right, exactly. Those those people are dead. In 19 days, they're dead anyway. I'm not saying... Yeah. I'm not saying exactly that you can ignore them, but at the same time, did you really help them? Well, you know, they just threw them a couple parcels of canned peas, and whether or not they had a can opener in them in the midst of the, the boxes is, you know, kind of the big question. But uh, self-exploding uh, self pecans, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And these will open eventually when the other planet hits us. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I think it, it just shows they're, you know, good people, and you're supposed to help out other people who are in distress, no matter what. No matter what. Even, even though you are definitely if, leaving to die. Right. And there's no hope, and the supplies you're giving them sure as heck better be extras, you know, not coming out of what you're stocking inside of the ship. Yeah, that too. That too. Yeah. Well, it's a little extra weight they saved. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I... I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm torn there. Yes, obviously you have to. But how many distress calls would be coming in? You know, I mean, there are so many people at that point and you've got your own problem. Boy, I, I, it, it makes me feel icky even to suggest that they should have ignored them. Yeah. And yet they kind of maybe should have ignored them or, you know, radioed on to someone else and say, we've got this signal go help them or, or whatnot. I don't know. It just, it, it's, it, you know, yeah, it's an excuse know. for the, the whole sequence where Tony might leave yeah, uh, uh, Randall it, behind. Right. So they rescue the kid on top of the house. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then the kid ends up getting to go to a new planet with his dog. Exactly. Um, okay, fine. I mean, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take a look at that. 40 people. Possibly the only 40 people to survive. And you've got a group of 600 workers. Uh -huh. And you pick the 40 at random. Right, yeah. Now, I get how if you did not pick them at random, you might have a manpower problem, right? Because right. some guy who, who's nearsighted and happens to be weak or have some sort of illness or he's old... But he's absolutely brilliant at building rockets, and you want him on your team, but you can't go. You know, yeah, we're not we taking you, old man. <laughs> right, right. We'd we'd love to bring you along. However, However we can't. We can't. Um, so that would be a little different. So they have a lottery system, but I mean, that's just a terrible system. I mean, it's just a terrible system. And you you have just literally said we have twenty men and twenty women, and I sure as have heck hope you like each other. Yes. <laughs> and and that you're not sterile and that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, that there's enough diversity that you're not going to inadvertently doom your children or your children's children's to there having isn't. some uh, horrible uh, genetic disorder that uh, eventually kills everyone. There isn't. We we know how many people it takes. We know how many people, we know how many conservationists know this information. And well, they the do it now. Is, they do now. Well, I'm going to say it. It doesn't matter. It was true then. We just might not have known it. Uh -huh. 
certainly when they had the whole Noah's Ark thing, they definitely did not know that. Um, right. It's 50 effective breeders. Oh. Now, 50 effective breeders. First off, there's two things you need to know about that. One is that that is just enough to keep the species alive. That is <laughs> not enough to prevent evolution, uh, to, to prevent the decay of evolutionary potential. Okay. Okay. But you could keep a species alive with 50 effective breeders. The problem is 50 effective breeders means you need 500 people because it's only one in 10. So they needed 500 people just to keep the species alive. Oh, interesting. Huh. And for your evolutionary potential to be okay, you need 500 effective breeders or 5,000 oh. individuals. Yeah, they're a little short on that number. They are a little short on that. Um, oh. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're dead. They're doomed. Unless other, unless other ships made it to the planet from other parts of the world, they're dead. And they all meet up. Yeah, and they'd have to meet right. up. That's right. Well, hopefully they get radios. Uh, they do. In, in the book After Worlds Collide, they do, actually. There were yeah. other countries, but just saying, yeah. in case anybody was hoping. But uh, <laughs> now, and then, the, they go into, in, then they get to a war. But yeah, yeah, of course, it's got to have one of those. That's how you have. That's how you write a page turner there. That's in the movie. Um, I forget. Do do other countries opt out of making rockets, or did they have their own programs? They said they have reports of other countries trying to build rockets. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, that's all we got was that some countries were trying. Who knows? Maybe the United States was too, you know, on their own. But that was, so, it, it's, a, it's a very unknown thing. That may be the only ship that got off the planet and landed on Zyra, for all we know. I kind of I wish that this, the script that was handed in could have had a couple more read-throughs and some more tweaking to fix some of these mm -hmm. issues. Uh, yeah, I, I understand that movies back then were done a lot faster, uh, than they are now. Not quite as long and the running time of 83 minutes is, yeah, not too bad, but I think having the, the, uh, jealousy plot in there kind of took away some, some chances of actually really doing a good job of, of selling the, the premise of the story and to flush it out a little bit more. Yeah. I don't. I, after watching this, I get the feeling that this was a a uh, uh, jealousy romance movie that was just kind of that had a, a a space story wrapped around it, not the other way around. If, right. Or this, you know, the, the whole story should have been destruction of planet. Will Earthlings survive? Oh, and yeah, and there's two people in it that are three people yeah. in it that have sort of a love triangle. Or the struggle to the struggle to escape is is an okay story. I mean, yes, I'm deeply disappointed that they did not make the planned second film, which is After Worlds Collide, which yeah, was I, the fault of, by the way, Conquest of Space. Yes, yeah, I read that because that didn't do very well, and so and the studio said, "Well, this George Pal guy, I don't know, yeah, trip pony, yeah, you know. yep." So they canceled the plans to make Afterworlds Collide, which, you know, would have, first off, I, I can't say it would be unique in the 1950s, but it would be darn unique that I feel like this is one story, and that you've only gotten halfway through it, you yeah. know, at the, at the point of the end of this film, which I hate. Oh, and the ending just, is, is so freaking abrupt. 
yeah, I, mean, I just hate the ending of the film. It's just like, yeah, it's, well, literally, it, it's it's just kind of a, a it's a, a long pan that starts with the the uh, the ramp of the ship dropped. You see people coming out with their goats, goats in tow. You know, and the the camera follows them going left to reveal the city or this, you know, uh, 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 the structures the in the distance are... and these weird plants and stuff. And some were there structures in the distance? I didn't notice that. On the 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 very far left, in the side of the mountain, there were these three large vent-like things. I'll that have looked to go like back and look at that. I didn't see artificial. Them. Okay, I'll go back and look. I mean, the trees looked pretty artificial to me because they were not particularly realistic. So I right I could, white yeah. trees on a a red background. Yeah, although I will say this for them, that ending, right? They arrive on the planet. Earth is literally destroyed i mean this is not a gosh how are we gonna get home it's like this is it yeah this yeah. is your home and they're like well Nothing let's go hair. outside and then and then somebody says what do we wish we need to check the atmosphere at first and it's like why <laughs> i mean seriously why i mean Turns if out. we if we open it if we don't open it because the atmosphere is bad we die right so, exactly in this tin can and if we open it we die but we see an alien planet before we go. I, it's like, right. So I appreciate the fact that somebody planet. just felt like, you know, what have we got to lose? Right. Nothing. <laughs> Although I suppose if they had analyzed it, if they had like Star Trek analyzes, they might have found that there was something in the air that could have had an inoculation given to everyone before they went out so they wouldn't die. But, you know, uh, but that that's a stretch for, for what was going on in this film and, you know, the technology at, at hand. So. Yeah, so but grab your goats and let's go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, and it, it, as you say, it's abrupt. It's like this should not be the end. This needs to be a second film. This this needs to be a two film event. So I have to tell you one story, and I am very annoyed at it. That's uh, <laughs> not a good ending. Uh, let's see. Yeah, let's see. I you have to love that you go to the UN with scientific evidence that the world is going to be destroyed, and you ask for money, and they say, "Are you sure?" And you uh, go, "Yes, I'm sure." And another scientist says, "I don't think so," and so they laugh him out of the place. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure which existentialist Earth crisis uh, comes to mind off the top of my head, but it sounds awfully familiar. Oh, not shape. Stanton, nasty piece of work. That's John Voight. If you didn't recognize him, he's Doctor Boyce from yep, the Star good Trek: The Cage. Yeah, yeah, yep. I love the fact that they call this uh, Stanton's folly, <laughs> and he was he was right. I also hate the fact that he was right. There, there is a oh, line yeah. earlier in the film where I think it's may even been the, the narrator is that the world finding out that it's coming to an end. And I think there was, I think there's an error, a lie of omission. It sounds like that the world governments don't tell anyone that the world is going to be destroyed. They tell them about Zyra. They don't tell them about Bellis. It sounds like, because all the preparations seem to be about Zyra coming and passing and screwing things up and not, and not then, oh, and then you'll be all killed 19 days later. And there's this, uh, there's this sequence where they talk about as all the acts of kindness in the world and 
never has mankind felt closer to God. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to find out if the whole God thing is correct or not in a couple of weeks. <laughs> well, yeah, they're going to find out, all right. <laughs> we're not, what the case may be. But I kind of wonder, okay, so here you are, you're the group of people, and you know a natural disaster is coming. You know that it's going to be bad. You know that there's going to be death and there's going to be injuries and people are going to get hurt. I can totally see people being kind and helpful. I mean, there's always some who won't be. But in oh, other words, yeah. I can see people pulling together because that's the kind of thing that gets people to pull together. Uh -huh. it's, it's a thing that humans do. Yeah, I but, think once they realize that there's no thing. You know, but yeah. Right, it's that 19 yeah. days <laughs> later. It's like when there's no hope. Unless you take arms and you take action against others, I can right. see that too. It's like, yeah, but even two then, different types of get you. Well, you know, for the people trying to storm the rocket ship. Well, that um, makes sense. Yeah. But for yeah. the other people who might be trying to storm the rocket ship too, it's like, wait, wasn't there a rocket in the mountains? Let's go. But I love the fact that the, the guy, when the guy is doing the instigating to get the guns and storm the rocket ship, Right. He says, well, let's get the world, let's the rocket ship. And then somebody stands up, this is madness. If we do storm the rocket ship, only 40 of us can go. And then those the people left behind will just take the guns and find on the other people and try to take their place on the thing. It's like, <laughs> he's right. right? I mean, yeah. it's, why not? You're going to die. It's just that simple. You're, you're dead. Uh -huh. And, but, you know, people are desperate. And uh, I think it's. I think it's portrayed. I, I'm kind of sorry that Hendren got his uh, his bubble popped, but I think it was inevitable. Yeah. So the other part that cracks me up is we've done our calculations, and Zyra is going to pass at exactly 1 p.m. on January 8th or whatever day it was. Right. And even the first time he said it, I'm like, 1 p.m. where? <laughs> well, one and would think that'd be where he's making the calculation. Well, he made the calculate. He well, he said one p.m. when he was at the UN, but I don't oh. know that the mountain camp was in the same time zone. Nonetheless, it came at one p.m. Your calculations is so precise that this planet is going to pass closest to Earth at one p.m., not one seventeen, not one fifty-three. One, how thoughtful of that planet to pass us <laughs> on the hour. Well, you know, he's probably. Give or take 10 minutes. I don't know. Exactly, except it's give or take 22 seconds because I timed it. Oh, okay. Well, there assuming, you go. Well, assuming, really good calculations. Assuming that the clock <laughs> is set to some coordinated actual real-world time, because in 1951, that's not guaranteed. Mm. And it probably is, but it doesn't, you don't know. <laughs> not like all our phones have the right time. Not like that. That was an old wind-up clock on the wall. and mm -hmm. But anyway. Well, they had... One o'clock, and then everyone's like, what a bunch of idiots. You are Stanton in particular, of course. Oh, he's stupid. Anyway, yeah, 22 seconds after one o'clock, the thing starts shaking, and they're all like, oh, it was happening. It's like a little, little bit on the nose there. Thinking, yes, between one and two o'clock well, <laughs> would be good enough. It's it's easy to sync up your your clocks. You just have to tune it to WWV, and you'll you'll find out exactly what the coordinated universal time is. And that Did was they have that in fifty one. Oh yeah, they they had that since the thirties actually. 
Nonetheless, the fact that they're expecting it to come at 1300 and zero, you know, and astronomers have to have precise time to make predictions like that. So, yeah, they they would have had some way of doing it. I'm not saying that the prediction is wrong. I'm saying that is the clock in the storeroom right? Oh, yeah. To within 22 seconds. That's my point. Well, they're sitting there going, it's like, well, it's one o'clock. It's exactly one o'clock. Well, there it is. One o'clock, zero, zero. Well, you know. Well, you Bronson's figure when they were, when they were building stupid. the facility, they probably had one of those, uh, what do they call it? It's the master-slave clock systems that was in all schools when you're growing up. Uh. How oh, I forget what that system is called. But it was in other places, too, hospitals. And uh, I would guess that some businesses would have had it if they would have had the money for uh, for, for installing it. Basically, it you've got a master, master clock in the office, the main office, that sends out a time signal to all the other clocks in the facility. It keeps them all within a second of uh, each other. That would have been luxury. Fascinating. Well, you didn't have yeah. that in your school? No. <laughs> oh. No, no, I can... I can still remember the teachers getting up there and, and setting the clocks when they'd, they'd stop and, you know, the batteries would run out. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Uh, my uh, my grade school and the uh, definitely junior high, yeah, in high school, too, even in, in North Dakota and in northern Arizona, um, all the clocks were were in sync. I don't even remember clocks in high school. Just, you know, buzzers and announcements, but anyway. <laughs> Nonetheless, pretty accurate prediction there, Dr. Yeah, Bronson. good job. Let's see. We have the Cummings. That's an interesting, that was an interesting bit on the, the script. So, these two people, Eddie and Julie, come uh-huh. to work at the factory. And apparently, yep. Eddie and Julie are a thing because when Eddie's all upset, they go, well, Eddie's got a girl, you know, and... uh Right. Which I assumed meant that that was Julie was his girlfriend, except they called them the Cummings later in the script. Uh-huh. So was that his wife all along? Did a husband and wife team go to work on this project? Yeah. And then they were going to split them up on random lot as well? Because that seems like you're causing more problems again than you're solving. Right. So you could solve this problem and... You know, we can do this whichever way you want to feel fair and just. You do the men's or the women's lottery first. And you go through who won and you go, oh, well, these people are married. So their spouses automatically get births. Yep, that's what you do. Hopefully they're effective breeders. So they're more important, actually, than perhaps hoping that you'll get there and set up Tinder uh, <laughs> on the it's on the planet, gonna, and it works. It's yeah. going to be a a blackboard that they pulled out of the ship that is stuck onto a rock, and that's it. You have been assigned exactly. I expect five children. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I don't know that I have anything else on it. I, I'm kind of uh, like I say, I really I would have thought this film did poorer than Conquest of Space because uh, I mean. Conquest of Space had its problems, but I don't know. This one just, I was okay. Like I said, I watched it and I was like, yeah, all right, fine. But I definitely remember when I was a kid, I watched it and I was like incredibly disappointed. <laughs> Need more it. spaceship. Yeah. Anything. You know, not not, <laughs> not 90 yeah, it, minutes of people planning to build a rocket ship. It's just, uh-huh. 
didn't didn't grab me. And I think I may have been the target audience, you know, when they were making this film. <laughs> or maybe how, not. You know, maybe that's how old why were you? they aimed for the... Well, when the film came out, I wasn't born yet. Um, well, yeah, yeah. When no. I watched it, probably sixth, seventh grade, however old that is, 12, 13, okay. 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah. That one definitely feels sure. like a world beyond airing. Oh, probably, so, yeah. So that would have been 75 to 77 for me, or 78. And you know what I remember? I remember the the sort of volcano. <laughs> I remember the ramp. All the action. The, ship. the action scenes. Yeah. And I remember I mean, the that, volcano was... thinking that looked pretty hokey. Yeah. Even then. Even back then. So hopefully somebody will pick this up, maybe Benicio Del Toro, and uh, and make a, make the two <laughs> movies to do a remake on. That that would be interesting uh, to see a modern director have a, a you know, <laughs> whatever their take is on something like You could like not make this film now without somebody, some reviewer going, well, this is a transparent... Uh, this is a transparent indictment of our treatment of global warming, right? I mean, you, well, I suppose, but maybe it's about the big and old I, star or something about to crush the planet. You, no, you but, global but, uh, global uh, climate change concerns aside, the, no. But I mean, the key of the the key is the the scientists tell you you're in trouble, and you ignore oh, them. Politicians. Well, that is that is that, an allegory for it. It's it's a the the they reason movie say that. don't the reason movie don't look up is is clearly what uh, they would sure. be trying to compare it to, yeah, sure. But you know, I I could see somebody taking this film and saying, yeah, that's what they had in mind when they came up with this film. It's like, nope, because the <laughs> book came out a long, long time ago. What they had in mind was we do the same stupid things over and over. Uh, right. Yeah, it doesn't matter what, what they the, had in mind. The uh the the tragic happenings are you know the 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 die has been there will be people who don't believe cast it that and... that these certain things are going to happen. And yes, that's it. There'll be ones who ignore it. They're the ones who say, well, you know, we'll just kick that can down the road and until it becomes a real the problem. Money, the, yeah. Yeah, it's too expensive. Uh, you know, we need to think about this longer, blah, blah, blah. We need to spend more money on the military, doggone it. Yeah. Right. They're going to do a lot of thought in this case, aren't they? There's yeah. the, God put us on this earth, and it is boundable for our purposes, and it can never run out or ever be destroyed, because yeah. that's the way God made it. That's a real yeah. position that some people take. I'm not, yeah, I, I sound only... like I'm mocking them. Oh, wait, I am. But I'm I'm I not have, mocking I... them with not their own words. I have only recently heard about that, and oh, I'm really? in my fifties. No. Yeah, no, it's real. I, I it's real. It's I heard that, and it's like that's got to be a joke. No, no, uh -uh. these been around for a long believe time. Believe that? Wow, been around for a long that time. Just like so much. Just like there are people so who much. support Israel because they think it'll bring the Armageddon faster. It, that also, I've known about that for a bit longer. And that also just boggles my mind. It's like, you wait, you want humanity to be destroyed? Not humanity, what? just the people who don't believe the way I do. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Just that, what, 144,000 people that believe the way this guy, whoever was talking about, police, right, whatever. 
Yeah. Brain hurts now. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. You're... Because that's what, <laughs> yeah, that's what this film makes me think of. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm sure if, uh, if the, uh, the movie was made, made today, that would definitely brought up. Yes. So, yeah. All right. Well, I don't have anything else to you. No, not really. No. I think a big deal is made out of the fact that the, uh, that the observatory is, uh, uh, Palomar, I believe. Yeah. Mount Palomar. Yep. Mount Palomar. It's like set used in about what? One shot. <laughs> Big deal. We use Mount Palomar. It's like, okay. <laughs> I think that at the time that was the largest telescope in existence. I Certainly think. was the sure largest telescope that. near to, uh, Hollywood. <laughs> well, sure. yeah. It's a very impressive telescope looking telescope. You know, the whole observatory had that, you know, this is a serious stargazing facility. Exactly. Exactly. Ah, Yep. Very photogenic. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes. All right. Well, in that case, I think we're, I think we're done with when worlds collide. Uh, Those, those poor people left on that planet to windle, winnow down and ultimately die because of lack of genetic diversity. It's uh, it's sad. What's going uh, on? Not understanding what what's what's happening. Why do we have? Why do all our kids look like the British royal family? I don't understand. We have less and less of every year. God must be smiting <laughs> us. Said we didn't scan the right books. Exactly. We, Burn we all didn't the bring non-religious goats microfiche. To sacrifice. Ah, there you go. The first thing we did is we lined up all the goats, and I mean, we just started slaughtering them like crazy. But nope, didn't help. Yep. Uh, I think I think I think we're done here. <laughs> I think John, so. Yeah. <laughs> John, thank you for joining me. You're welcome. Listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash fusion patrol or patreon.com slash fusion patrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at FusionPatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. You can find some of our other works at SoundCloud.com slash FusionPatrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we'll be looking at the Crime Traveler episode, Death Minister, where we discuss whether the UK government has a time machine. We ref- talk about referencing the TARDIS and the Doctor Who theme, and we discuss the technical implications of if they'd had mobile phones in this show to time travel with. Come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol. <laughs>